Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night, he is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. We, um, when I had uh, the week off, we went up to see our daughter who lives in New York City and, and went on a little vacation. We rented a car and we just kind of drove around. Uh, went to Vermont and Western Massachusetts. It, wow. I mean, my, oh my, it's just so beautiful up there. You find yourself, you know, that's God's country, I think. If I weren't from Texas, okay. I, I just, the, other, the other God's country. But when we were driving around, uh, I found out some old friends from high school and some acquaintances were uh, contacting me about getting together for our high school reunion uh, this summer. And I said, I cannot believe that it's been 30 years since I graduated from high school. And Melinda said, Matt, it's 40 years. <laughs> and I said, that can't be true for at least two reasons. One, I can't be that old. And then two, the only way you'd know that is if you did math and you don't like math, and math doesn't like you. <clears throat> and she said, fine, then you do the math. And then, you know, Carrie's in the front seat, and she's going, oh, no, you're becoming those parents that turn everything into an argument. I said, no, we're not. And Melinda said, yeah, I think we are. <laughs> so I, so I, I did the math in my head twice, and I, I couldn't figure it out. <clears throat> and so I got out my phone and did the calculator thing, and it turns out the class of 78 was great. 40 years ago, 40 years ago. Have you ever been on a vacation where one person said one thing and it ruined the entire vacation? <laughs> I've been on a vacation like that. <clears throat> There's a point uh, to why I'm telling you this story, but I'm old and so I have to remember, <laughs> here it comes, right. Here's the point. Uh, when I look at my, uh, my old friendships from school, I find that everyone, most everyone, is kind of experiencing the extremes of life. There are some friends and acquaintances that are wildly successful and others that are dead or nearly dead or wish they were dead. It seems like the class of 78 only has two destinations, happily ever after or miserable. And there's a reason. Do you know why? Because every decision has a price tag, and the bills are due, and it's time to pay. Wouldn't it be great if, if there was just like a magical yearbook that you could get when you graduated from high school? <clears throat> and that yearbook, you would be given that yearbook, and it would tell, it would, you, you just turn through the pages, and you could see who, who where, like, the life of everyone in the book in 20 years. And 30 years and 40 years. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, that would be a very powerful book, wouldn't it? You cross the stage at graduation, you shake a hand, you get a diploma, and then you get this 
magic yearbook. It would be, wow. I mean, you would, I would imagine you'd go to your page first, right? Where am I going to be in 20 and 30, 40 years? Why would it have so much power? Because you could immediately find out the consequences for long-term decisions. You would find the destination points of all your desires, all those things you delight in, because what you desire is what you fixate your thoughts on, and thoughts turn into choices, and choices turns into habits, habits turn into lifestyle, lifestyle turns into a destiny. That's life. And if you could get this book, it could tell you how dangling with these delights ends up with a certain destination. There's a book like that. It's right in the middle of your Bibles. It's the book of Psalms. Psalms is a book of, it's a wisdom book, but in many ways, it's a book of prophecy. You can go through those 150 songs that are written by various authors, and they'll tell you where things lead. And even the first chapter, right, the first book in the book of Psalms, chapter 1, it's positioned there so as to show you where all of life ends. The last sentence in the first psalm says this, for Yahweh watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the rich of the wicked will perish. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There it is, two ending points, two polar opposites, two different funerals altogether. And if, I hope you heard the emphasis it's the way people live. It's, it's, it, the way of the righteous is entirely different than the way of the wicked. But it's a subtle difference, mind you. It's, it's the little things. It's the little desires that turn into thoughts, that turn into choices, that turn into habits, turn into lifestyles, turn into destinies. Because the days are long, but the years are short. And personally, I, I feel like my last decade, my last 10 years, I feel like sometimes it goes by, like when I drive home from work and I kind of black out, get road hypnosis, and I can't figure out, did I take the highway or the, or the long way home? I don't, I'm in the driveway. How did I get here? That's how the years can pass. And it happens before you know it, and you find out, and it's just like, it's like, like a garment or something. You have arrived. How, but how did you get here? That's the point. It's a very delicate ascent. It's a slow-grade, elusive descent into darkness. Here's a great quote I've found 20 years ago, but probably 40 years ago. No man suddenly becomes a base. No man suddenly becomes a base. It's the small choices over time that add up and you lead you to places. A person doesn't just find themselves in the middle of the night enslaved by pornography. They're not like ruining intimacy overnight. It takes a little second look over and over and over. It, a woman isn't drinking wine in the morning when she starts <laughs> learning about alcohol. She drank a glass of wine after a really hard week of work, and then there was another hard week of work, and the glasses got bigger, and they started earlier. No man suddenly becomes a base over time. You have to practice this. 
You have to practice where you end up. Aristotle said, what you practice, you become. What you practice, you become. And if you practice things that can be ruinous, you are ruined. And if you practice things that are and consistent in, in things that are good for you, you become blessed by God. You live a blessed life. And Psalm chapter 1 addresses one of the greater fears in living uh, the Christian life, and that's compromise. Not compromise that everyone needs to have to be able to get along and have harmony with each other and even country to country. We're talking about moral compromise, about things that are absolute. And, and, and we're, we're giving up a little bit here and a little there. It's, uh, it's, again, it's the power of this subtlety. Little insects that invade a 200-year-old oak tree but they're consistent. They're silently chewing away at the life force of that tree. No one hears them. No one knows it's happening, but the tree is gone. It's dead. It's over. And then it just takes a, just a breath of a wind on some dark night and that big oak tree falls. And then we find out it's taken a long time. It's been, on the, it's, it's been on that way for quite some time. And Psalm 1 asks the question, what way are you on? Which path have you chosen to be on? Sometimes without choosing, but you're still on a path. There's two ways. There's two lives. The righteous life is explained in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight, his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and on his law he meditates day and night. The righteous man understands the slow descent. It's, it's two to four degrees. Sometimes you can't even see it. But the righteous man sees that and fears it and lives his life accordingly. And you can see that's why, therefore, he, he doesn't doesn't walk. He doesn't stand with the scoffers. He, he doesn't sit with the wicked. He's not going to do those things because he knows. He knows that it, it starts with these desires and then it turns right into thoughts, choices, habits, destiny. And so he's, if, you look at the, if you look carefully uh, at this parallelism, you see there is this digression that's taking place. And, and the verbs here of, of walk and stand and sit, they're metaphorical, right? It's not, it can be literal, that's for sure, but it's more metaphorical in, in that, you know, it says walking with. And that mean, just means living alongside of, in, in, enjoying and taking advice from the sinners. And then it gets darker because he says, it's, he stops the idea, there's, I'm going to ponder this. I'm going to consider and deliberate these values the values of the, of the wicked one. And then finally, it says he sits. In other words, I'm getting comfortable here. Now I'm part of this collusion. I want to find myself identified with this group of people. Their values are the values that I have or I want to identify with. The, this person that ends in ruin, he envies and does, he, he delights in those things that are, that are destructive and abhorrent to God. It's going to ruin his life. But blessed is the man who knows the power of subtlety. Blessed is the man who understands that and keeps a safe distance from it. We, I mean, we have a saying, what's a nice person like you doing in a place like this? 
And the answer is, you've been working on it for 20 years. You had a set of thoughts and desires, and you were walking, and then you stopped and you stood and pondered and deliberated, and then you took your seat, and here you are. No man suddenly becomes a base. It's a delicate thing, that slope, that downward spiral. It's, it's beautifully told in the storytelling genius of, in the book of Genesis. If you look at the story of Lot, that's the nephew of Abraham, the great saint. If you look at Lot, the way the author tells his story is keeping almost this passage in mind where we hear a little bit about Lot and then we go back to Abraham. And so we hear, we, we hear Abraham say he's a very generous soul. He doesn't have to do this. Lot, where do you want to live? You can pick either side. And it says that Lot saw and envied the place where Sodom is, like Sodom and Gomorrah. He loved the luxury and the excitement of that place. So the first time we hear about him, he's pitched a tent, a temporary thing. He's pitched a tent outside of Lot. We go back to the story of Abraham. Next scene, we flash back. Lot, he's moved inside the walls. Back to the story of Abraham. Then it says, our next time he's brought up, the author says, he's sitting at the gate. That, that means he's part of the town council. That, that's him saying, you know, he's, oh, he's fully involved with this. He's giving and receiving advice on how to be a good sodomite. And this is this idea, one choice at a time. No man suddenly becomes a base. It, it, was, it was, see what he was delighting in? And then he had thoughts about that, and then he started making choices, and that became a habit and a lifestyle. And then God, in an act of judgment, obliterates this town of Sodom. And, and Lot barely gets out with his life, and the back of his head is singed from this. What was a guy like you doing in a place like this? It took a while. Slowly but confidently, you had to end there. Paul Newman was married to um, Joanne Woodward for 50 years. About a decade ago, or actually probably closer to two, a very young and extremely successful young actor asked marriage advice for Paul Newman and said, wow, how did you do it? How did you keep the marriage um, so, so beautiful? And Paul Newman said, oh, it's simple. Leave Hollywood. The young man didn't. He's on his third marriage because he's walking and standing and sitting. Aristotle said, what you practice, you become. Psalm 1 says, what are you practicing? What will you become? There's two fates for this. Listen, the key to this is, is not like the literal idea of spending time with, you know, the wicked or the sinner or the scoffer. That would be, that's too simple of, of, of an understanding of this, right? Not to mention you know, we're to be in the world and not of the world. We're supposed to have friends, you know, that are outside the church. We're supposed to love people that, that have not found their way. So what he's referring to here is the idea of being influenced by them by desiring right, and, and enjoying what they are experiencing. It, it, the, the, if you think about it, no one uh, walks with the wicked because they're obliged to. 
No one's going to stand with those, the sinners because they've been ordered to. No one is sitting with the, with the scoffers uh, because they don't have a choice, because they've been forced. No, no, no. Here, the, the idea here is, is that they want to be with those people. This foolish person is delighting in these values and the consequences of these values. They're meditating on how their life is living. They're, they're living their life and want some of that themselves. That's how you end up on the wrong way. Not just spending time with people, but enjoying the value system of those people. So, you know, again, why are you, of all the neighbors to walk around the block with, why did you choose to walk with these two women famous for man-hating? You will not be content in your marriage in another month. They're influencing you. You're not influencing them. Why are you standing outside that business building getting advice from that person? What does he have that you would desire? Why do you have a beanbag chair with your name on it in that dorm room? In that dorm room, those guys openly mock the boundaries of God to keep you safe, and you're getting dating advice from them because you want to do what? Do you see? No man suddenly becomes a base. It's little decisions over time that lead to ruin or blessedness. And so it says there that the wise person understands the power of this subtle choices and knows what to stay away from. And then then verse two, just to read it again, he says, the blessed person delights, this is what he's spending his time, he delights in the law of Yahweh. And on his law, he meditates on that day and night. He delights in that. That's what he values. Delight is an economic term. He says, I find myself rich when I'm studying the law of God. He, he says he's meditating on it. Meditating is, uh, is taking the thoughts of God and causing them to experience the greatest distance that a man can know, and that is from his head to his heart. Meditation is when you take thoughts and you make them soulish, and you bring them there, and they become part of you. you under, it's the, the difference between knowing something and understanding something. Meditating on it day and night. One author said, you do, do you see what he's saying here? This, this, this blessed person is meditating on the law day and night. He loves being told what to do by God. God says, go there. And he says, okay, do this. I'll do it. <laughs> Don't do that. I won't. A blessed person, let me translate it. A blessed person feels rich in obedience. That's the right way. That's the right road. That's the road we're supposed to be on. And the idea here is, again, it's just a small little thing, right? This is gradual descent. It's this subtle incline. But if you understand the power of that and you can maintain that over the years, then dividends gets paid, right? It doesn't doesn't have to end in ruin. It can end in being blessed, being rich. What's this guy's 20-year yearbook look like? What's he look like in 30 years? What happens to him 40 years after he's been on this path? Next sentence. He is like a tree planted by the stream of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Isn't that a beautiful, vivid description of what it would be to be blessed? To be this... Like, again, this is written in the Middle East, okay? It's desert. 
it's like here now. <laughs> it's so hot. And if you can imagine what, what that must be like, it says, well, if you were a tree, where would you want to live? He says, by a stream. He does not say by a stream. He says, by streams of water. When you're by streams of water, you have strength. And while other people are losing a religious veneer because they have no depth of root, a person that's by the streams of water is growing stronger and stronger. They're giving shade to other people. They're giving life to those around them. It says you'll, in, in season, you'll give fruit. And the idea, I think, of that, even that picture is twofold. One is fruit happens. It's not something it's struggled over. It's a consequence of being tapped into these streams of living water. And then there's love and joy and peace and patience. It's a consequence of meditating on the law of God. And it, it, it's in season, by the way, right? over time. Right? It's the power of subtly in a good way. It's just, it's just what happens when you, start, when you start making choice after choice after choice. And finding yourselves being enthralled with desired feeling rich in the knowledge of God. And that's why the leaves never wither. That's why all that he does prospers. His family life, his, his married life, his work life. Delight yourself in Yahweh. Delight yourself in Yahweh. And you'll find yourself over time. Be patient. You will be steadfast, strong as an oak right? Stable. Because that's what happens. It has to happen. That's, that's what it means to be, you know, a disciple for a period of time that gets to show the fruit. There's this one section, this one sentence really in Lord of the Rings. doesn't make it to the movie, but it's, it's in the book itself. It's, it might be in the single darkest period of the, the trilogy. It is when all hope is lost, evil will rule all of creation. And if you remember, Gandalf is the good wizard and Pippin is um, a little hobbit and, and he's watching kind of everything soon to end. And so he looks into the face of Gandalf to see what he could see in this old wise man who has made choice after choice over a long period of time and as strong as this tree planted by the river. He says this. In the wizard's face, Pippin saw at first only care and sorrow. And then as he looked, he perceived that under it all, there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth. Enough were it to gush, gush forth, it could set a kingdom laughing. All is lost. No hope. Circumstances could not be any worse. And deep down, there was joy. Joy, if it were to break loose, could cause a kingdom to laugh. This passage in Psalm chapter 1 says we could have that. You and I can enjoy that strength and power. You and I can live our lives in such a way as to transcend circumstances. Psalm 1 asks... What way are you on? What path have you chosen? Because I want this one. I want to be this tree. I want to live this life. I want to bear fruit so that other people might enjoy that. I want to give shade to those who need that. I want to live a life that just 
pleases God. I want to be this righteous person. What I don't want is four and five. So not so with the wicked. This is the other choice. They're like chaff. Okay. The wind blows them away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. See how it's contrasting this giant tree planted by these streams? It has nothing. It has no weight. Chaff is, is the husk, and, and, and you just throw it up in the air and let the wind blow it away. There's no character in chaff. There's no nutrients. There's no goodness in it. Uh, it's a Hebrew way of saying a life that is worthless, a, a life that is wasted, a person who lives in such a way that they are a husk. And Proverbs, or Psalm chapter 1 says, is this the road you want to be on? No, it is not. But that's what happens when you delight in these things of evil, and then you find yourself, your thoughts are stopped and standing, you fixate on this, and then it leads to choices and habits, lifestyle, destiny. Because what you practice, you become. That's what it says in verse 6. For Yahweh watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, they will perish. There's two ways. A way of regret and a way of reward. A way of deep roots and a way of dry husks. And the rest of the book of Psalms is poetry and music and melody to show you that way, show you where things go. So I thought, this summer, let's spend some time in the Psalms. Let's make the most of this truth that if we could delight ourselves in the right thing, we would think on the right things. I thought, look, as a church, Let's all get on this right way just for a few weeks. Maybe we could change some habits so that could lead to a change in lifestyle. That's where the power is. There's power in Psalms. There's so much power in Psalms. One of the ways that the book of Psalms is so powerful is because it ignites and illuminates the passions of God. And sometimes in that context, we say, what? You too? <laughs> that God would feel that? I mean, we sang that, I, that I could see with his eyes, through his eyes, that I could feel what he feels, that I could think what he thinks. A lot of that's taking place in this book of Psalms. And we can, we, we like connect with him better. If you're reading the book of Psalms and you say, wow, that's interesting, you're not reading the book of Psalms <laughs> right, in the right way. There's so much more to interesting, right? It, you're supposed to be, it's, it's, it's Psalms means song. It's poetry. It's melody. It's the passion of music. You're supposed to find yourselves passionately engaged in the heart of God. That's why Psalms is so powerful. That's why so many people, it's their favorite book. It also has a significant power in recollection. It helps us remember. Songs do that. Music does that, right? I'll bet, I'll bet most of you know, you know your high school class song, right? How many years ago was that? And you still, I can tell you, if you played Fleetwood Mac Rumors, I would immediately be in Port Aransas on spring break maroon. I would be the color of dark red, approaching purple. But I know every lyric of every song on that album. Don't know much about high school? I know that album. The point is this, that, that this happens in the book of Psalms. Psalms is God's 
prayer book. There's a lot of different prayer books out. This is God's prayer book. And that's why the Benedictine monks, St. Benedict, when he set up the monasteries, required all of the monks to go through 150 psalms okay, once a week. They would have to cite them, recite them, hear them, speak them. Uh, um, what is it? The, the Anglican book on prayer, right? The daily office where you are having a devotional twice a day. They go through the psalms, 150 of them, once a month. Calvin, when he was trying to, you know, kind of straighten up the church in Geneva, he, he put music to all of the psalms and required that they would all be sung through twice a year. The idea here is, have you ever had a song stuck in your head? That's what we're trying to do in our time together for the rest of the summer. We're going to try to get a psalm stuck in our head. We're going to try to meditate on it day and night, day and night. We're going to try to learn a few psalms, but meditate on one day and night. I picked one that I thought you'd like, Psalm 23. We'll all go through it together. We're going to memorize that psalm, all of it, by the end of our time together. We'll bring our kids on it. We, if you don't know, if you haven't been by yet, your children in either children's building will be a family, summer family challenge, and they'll, they're working through the psalms that we'll be working through. They're going to be trying to memorize Psalm 23 together. Watch this. This is the sound of a new habit. Everybody take out their bulletin. And let's do the memory verse. I'll show you how to do this this week. Hear that tearing? That's the sound of success. New habit. New lifestyle. New destiny. I want to start off easy. It's a single sentence. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We're going to memorize this. And here's what, and the next thing you do. This is how you meditate on something day and night. By the way, did you know... Uh, I think it's called onomatopoeia. I'm pretty sure that's what the word is. It's a ridiculous word. It means the word sounds like the thing it is. So buzz is an onomatopoeia because it's buzzing sounds like the word buzz. Uh, meditate in Hebrew is an onomatopoeia. It sounds like the word mumble. When you're, when you're meditating, the idea is you're kind of mumbling. You've got something stuck in your head. You're kind of talking to yourself. Your mouth is moving, but you're not saying anything. That's when you know you're meditating is when it's kind of trapped in there. Again, it's just like a song stuck in your head. And, and so what we're, when you, you memorize that, that's the easy stuff. Okay, we're trying to get it from our head to our heart. And so now the second part of this meditating is analyzing it. You're looking, you're looking at this and you're, you're trying to figure out what these words mean. It'd be great to maybe even consider, you know, rewriting it, finding a, a, another translation or do your own translation. You're asking the questions, though. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What's it mean to be a sheep? Boom. What's it mean for me to be a sheep? It's not flattering. Okay. And the more you understand that, the better, because then you start looking at yourself throughout the whole week going, I'm just a sheep. What's it mean to have a shepherd? How do shepherds run sheep? What's it mean that Yahweh, it says, look at it carefully, it says the Lord, L-O-R-D, all cap, Yahweh is my shepherd. That should keep our minds busy for a week, right? If we just spend our times, and here's, here's how I'm, we speak to God about the passage. Here's what I'm going to do. I'd love you to join me. On the way into work, probably on the way out of, back from work, I've got this time in the car that I loathe. I'm going to put on classical music. This is a new thing to me. I'm grown up now. I'm listening to classical music because I've found my subconscious runs wild. It's, I have so much fun when I'm listening to classical music. I know it's been true for about 500 years. I've just found that out. I listen to classical music now. 
this will be on my dashboard and I'll just be mumbling these questions over and over again. What does it mean to be a sheep? How am I like a sheep? What's it like to have a shepherd? What's it like for Yahweh to be a shepherd? What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about me? Is this something I'm supposed to follow? Is this a promise I'm to claim? How do I respond to this in the way I think or the way I feel or how I act? What the, the point of meditating day and night, okay, is we're trying to push these thoughts, the things that we know, into our souls so as to change who we are. If we're trying to make this a passion thing. We're trying to get our roots down to these streams so that we're transformed by the power of subtlety because the righteous man, he, he loves, he counts himself rich to meditate on the, on the words of Yahweh day and night. And when that happens, when we can just get like a single root and tap into those streams of living water, then success will not ruin us and failure will not devastate us. And being rejected, right, and feeling sometimes alone, you find yourself tapping, feeling, strengthening by five and 10 and 20 years of meditation, you say, alone, rejected, that can't be. Yahweh is my shepherd. He knows my name. Only so much can happen to you when you're that strong, when you're that stable, when you're that grounded in the power of the love of God and his word. What do you say we get on the right way? the way of the righteous, and understand the power of subtlety. And we use the power of that subtlety to make us like Christ in all of life. Want to join me? What you practice, you become. Hey, Grace, let's practice meditating on Psalm 23 for most of this summer. Who's in? Yeah, man. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, I would ask, um, first of all, that your spirit would convict us if we are in a habit of things that are destructive, that in 10 years or 20 years, we will pay full bills and we cannot afford that. Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would make us aware of even thoughts or delights or things that tantalize us that will ruin us. We don't want to be like chaff. Lord, I'd ask that you would give us the discipline and the courage, the ability, whatever it takes, the games we must play so that we could learn, so that we might meditate on your law, your love, your character, that we might pick up a new habit this summer that would turn into a lifestyle, that would turn into a destiny. Uh, we hold to uh, that picture of a tree by the streams of living water that we individually and collectively as a church could bear much fruit so that we might please you and our city would be better for it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.